Underground. Good to go? <laughs> I think so. All right, guys. Welcome to episode 162 of Movie Schmovie. Uh, we are excited to get back together tonight to go over this year's Maryland Film Festival, which is a, a festival that takes place in Maryland, um, given in the name, downtown in Baltimore City, uh, across, I don't know, maybe, I think there's like five or six theaters they use now. Is that is that right? Yeah, at least maybe seven. Some, something around there. Uh, I know I was at at least four, four different places. Right. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, yeah. So it happens every you know the first weekend of May every year, uh, nicely coinciding with Mother's Day weekend, not making it hard on anybody to. Uh, you no, know, not at all. <laughs> figure out how to see anything on Mother's Day, but somehow, people figure it out. Yeah, so it's a festival here in Baltimore, and it used to be centrally located down at the Art House Theater here in town, um, the Charles Theater, and they used to just use all six of their screening rooms for the festival, and that made it great because it was centralized, and we've said these last couple of years that it's been more spread out. It was, for me this year in particular, a, a very fractured experience of going to a screening, getting back in my car, driving home coming back a couple hours later to go to another screening, finding parking in a different spot, you know, and going to see another screening and going back and forth. I never really felt the flow of being at a at a festival uh, this year. <clears throat> I did see some great films, but I, I think I'm really starting to miss that sense of, like, going to see the movies and kind of just being near the uh, the tent where the kind of hub of activity is. Yeah. Same here. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I feel like we were talking about it when we saw that screening on Thursday together. Like, we walk out of that theater at Micah into the street of Baltimore at 1139. There's like, there's just nobody there. There's not that feeling of like walking out of the theater and, and walking into discussion about the movie you just saw. And that is completely lost. Like in these screenings, like it's like a ghost town in between going to see films at the festival, the way it's laid out now, at least in my experience. Well, with all that said, let's talk about some of the actual films that we saw starting with a film that I think is the only one that the three of us saw together, right? Under the Shadow. Uh, this is a horror movie set against a different cultural backdrop than, than we're used to seeing, written and directed by an Iranian-British filmmaker named Babak Anvari. Um, what did you guys think of Under the Shadow? Um, I mean, just bluntly, I, I guess I was kind of let down by it. I mean, I feel like we we were saying like you know I guess like two thirds of it it's you know kind of had me going it kind of stuck I stuck with it in terms of like a build or something but it was like you always say this John and it's it's very true and like it's it's so true of a lot of recent horror movies just like the reveal like the reveal like once we see what's happening or once you you see the like whatever the spirit or the monster or the whatever whatever the element of horror is in 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 the given horror film it's like the movie just becomes less interesting from that point on like uh in terms of a resolve or any kind of resolution and this was no exception to that i mean i feel like the last like 15 20 minutes of the movie it just kind of I don't know. It kind of kind of fell apart for me. 
it does play out like a psychological horror film that then becomes like a real horror film. It's a family that lives in Tehran. Was it set in a specific year or just kind of ambiguously the early 80s? And so there's an unexploded missile that ends up in this apartment building, and most of the people evacuate. And this mother, uh, Shade, I believe is her name, and her daughter, Dorsa, um, stay in the apartment building where there is then this kind of manifestation of, of evil that kind of stalks them. And it was very creepy and scary, and and I liked the sort of building isolation that they were experiencing, the way that eventually most everyone else or everyone else was gone, and they were alone there. It didn't have a lot to offer as it went along, but I, I did like that cultural backdrop. The theme, the theme of it was kind of that she was fighting on a political level. Her fighting became an issue, and she was basically banned from her school where she was trying to become a doctor. That within itself is really interesting. There were things about that version of her in the beginning that really kind of stood out to me. But what it seemed to me in the end was that this character arc, it wasn't because she was a strong person. It was because she was a she was just kind of a difficult person, it seemed like. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so something really weird about somebody being like, well, I'm just going to stay here in the craziness. This doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's the old joke about, about haunted house stories anyway, though, is why the people stick around. But yeah, at what point does uh, stubbornness become stupidity? I don't know. What do you think, Steve? At what point does stubbornness become stupidity? <laughs> uh, I don't really know the answer to that question. I guess it's a matter of circumstance. I, mean, I don't know. Sorry, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not able to answer that at this time. <laughs> There was another movie that I think you saw, Steve, or at least I'm pretty sure you saw, uh, Always Shine. Yes, I did. That was also sort of a a movie that, if you look at the broad strokes of the way the plot is described, it sounds very much like a, a horror film or something we may have seen before, but I don't think it's quite something we've seen before. What did what, what were your feelings about that? I don't know. It's the same thing. Like I felt like I, I, I didn't love the movie. Um, I, didn't, I don't even know that I really liked it. I, it's one that actually one of my good friends who works in the industry up in uh, New York City uh, had been kind of raving about, you know, he's, he loved it. And um, I would say same thing, like probably about like 80% of the movie I was really into or, you know, really kind of engaged. And uh, I don't want to say I was like, I, I didn't follow the last 20% of it or didn't understand it. But I don't know. I, I think like this whole, it, it, it is doing a lot of the similar things, like where it's kind of talking to, perspectives and like you know um like how society views women and how uh women are expected to act or like literally act as an actress in certain situations or you know in a social setting just as a person in society um it's talking about a lot of that stuff and it's it's very meta uh in in the context of these two female leads who our friends and at different levels of acting careers and kind of navigating where their place is in not only the friendship with one another, but their, their, their level of success, um, you know, in, in film or in independent film at least. But I don't know, like, I, I guess like when the movie kind of gets to where it's going, um, I don't know if it like becomes one of these things to me where I just feel like it's like way too aware of itself. I don't know, like I way, way too aware of itself, or like or or what it's doing is 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 far too on the nose for 
maybe maybe for my taste. Um, but I mean, I like I say, like probably for two thirds, three quarters of the movie, I thought I was like super into. I think uh, what, what's her name, Mackenzie. Mackenzie Davis. Davis, yeah. Um, I thought she was actually really good. I, I've kind of like been a fan of hers. Like she has a lot of smaller roles and some random things I've seen her in, but it was kind of cool to see her as a lead. Which um, I thought, you know, that she was really both 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 of the female leads were really good in the film. Yeah, it was Mackenzie Davis as Anna and Caitlin Fitzgerald as Beth. And the film starts out with Beth in such a way that you're sort of following her as though she's the protagonist of the tale. And then when it, you meet. Anna, she seems kind of like the antagonist, and I know what you mean about the kind of role reversal, and both in terms of the actresses yeah. themselves, in the meta sense of being actresses in a film, um, and there's a whole question about whether there's going to whether whether to be nude in a film, uh, in terms of within the film, the actresses are making this decision, and then the movie itself, of course, then later has to make that decision in a few scenes as to how to how to depict the the naked female body. You know, there's little things like that that are going on that they set up that do feel very meta. But a lot of it was, I don't know, it was twisty and psychological. And I, I kind of know what you mean, Steve, about the last part seeming like a jumble. Like, it, it, I don't really know what I'm supposed to make of the plot of what happened. I mean, I think it's pretty clear what right. happened. But but the the little switcheroo, the way that it kind of plays with your expectations and your perspectives, I don't know if that's just all from the point of view of this character or if it's, if it's showing us... Uh, alternate ways things could have happened but what i took away from the movie more was the sort of opening stretch the way these two friends who were both actresses and as you said at different levels in their careers and as we can see there's kind of an inversion of talent that the actress who is having the best career may not be as talented as the one who's having the harder time um Definitely. But there's this yeah. weird thing of friends who are competing but supporting each other and the way they kind of undermine each other and that when things go sour, all these things are just ready to come out, you know. Uh, and when, when, you, when, you're, when you find your friend has stabbed you in the back or said something about you, there's all these things you've been sort of saving up about your friend, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, yeah, that, that, that part of it is very interesting because, I mean, I think everybody can relate to... You know, just like that kind of tension that builds naturally sometimes in relationships, friendships, relationships, whatever it might be. Um, but I don't know. I guess what's really interesting about this specific story is just kind of what you were saying, and I was trying to get at earlier, which is just like this is explanation or just like examination of, you know, I think expectations of of women and um, and just female characters female people you know just the role the gender the whatever you want to call it it just you know uh in the q a that we stayed for with like the director was there and uh the screenwriter and who plays one of the guys in the film and, and then the editor uh was there uh, and the filmmaker the, the 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 um the director was there as well but what, what they were getting a lot of questions about was like just about like you know, like what you were saying earlier, like how how they like they handled nudity, and you know, like how the whole time in the movie, um, what's uh, the the one friend, you know, kind of it keeps coming up, like how how many films she's done where she has to show her boobs, and like they made this decision, like to kind of keep cutting to like these scenes where you're kind you're kind of like looking off the side of the screen to see if they're gonna show you know, a nude shot or whatever it might be, and then they just kind of, like, pull it back and kind of go against that expectation for, like, a, a genre film or, like, a psychological thriller. Like, it seems like you're, you're, you, you've you been programmed to, 
you know, expect that of like an actress who very few people can name their names and, you know, and they're in this film, this independent film. And it's like, they, they're, they're so aware of that. And they're like completely playing up that, you know, conversation point the entire time in the movie. And, um, which, you know, that is, that is really interesting and it's, and it is really important too. I mean, and it was cool to hear, you know, them kind of address it so bluntly, especially because the film is written by a man and and directed by a woman. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it's nice. Like that, 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 that back and forth between them at the Q and a was interesting in, uh, to see, you know, where they were on that page of, 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 of conversation. But, I don't know. I guess, I guess just the big thing for me was like just kind of at the end it did it did feel like it kind of got a little muddled and wasn't really sh- sure. I don't know. I guess the the big takeaway maybe I'm not sure what what my big takeaway was supposed to be with. I guess specifically like how the movie closes like in the last like five minutes. But some good performances and you know an interesting movie because as we've been noticing a lot lately, there's this tendency in independent films to in, to kind of do an independent version of a of a genre film. Yeah, I saw a movie that actually is a kind of an indie version of. I don't know what you would call a body horror slash creature film, but The Master Cleanse, mm-hmm. um, which uh, starred Johnny Galecki. Uh, and I'm not going to hold the fact that he's been on like the world's worst sitcom for the last ten years or whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to hold that against him. Um, but he was a, a an executive producer or someone who was helping this film uh, along. The writer and director Bobby Miller was doing the Q and A at the movie, so he was talking a little bit about how the movie came to be. And there was an actor in line to play the lead, and they had to drop out. And then he kind of asked Johnny Galecki as kind of a hail mary, like, "Do you think you could?" play this lead and Johnny Galecki stepped in and he does a great job but it was an interesting movie and I don't want to give too much away I think if you read anything or if you see anything what might interest you would be the thing that could be considered a spoiler which is that it does kind of have creatures in it you know it's got little animatronic beings the premise of it is that these lonely people are going to this resort where they're going to do this master cleanse program where they're going to drink four jars of this disgusting liquid and it's supposed to purge all the toxins out of their body and they're going to come out of it feeling just better than they've ever felt um and everybody kind of has their own reason for being there and everyone has their own reason for why they want to cleanse themselves and so what happens to each person is specific to what they bring to the place. You know, it's got a little bit of that Willy Wonka thing where each of the kids has like a personality hang up that affects their fate, sort of. Um, and yeah. each of the four characters that we follow into this resort or this treatment has a different reason for being there and a different attitude about it. And the creature that they encounter uh, has a different feel to it and a different design based on who they are. It's a really interesting movie. I don't know in the end that it it fully completed the the circuit for me of what it was trying to do but i i do give it mm-hmm. cre- i do give it credit for ending at an interesting moment and ending at a scene where you feel like at least on the page that's where you want this movie to end right so i would say catch uh, the master cleanse uh, if you can so ronald i don't think you finished watching high rise i couldn't do it i i know i did and i know steve did um what did you think of high rise steve and what do you think of ben wheatley or what do you know of ben wheatley outside of this film um i know that you love ben wheatley I love two of Ben Wheatley's films. Okay, so then this is a good conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, well, honestly, like I, I've I've seen um, what's the one I saw? Um, what's the road trip one? Sightseers. That was really good. Sightseers. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I really enjoyed Sightseers. I did not see um, the other, I, I don't even know, isn't like a field and something? Kill List is the first one I saw that made me go, oh, who's this director? Right, and then Sightseers right. was the next one that he did. And then A Field in England was the next one that he did. And I like that one a lot, but I don't like it quite as much as I like uh, Sightseers and Kill List. And then I would say High Rise is a big mess that has a lot of the qualities, the formal qualities that make his other movies interesting or good. Um, but it it it's you described it as out there. I'm calling it a big mess. I know people that love the book that High Rise is based on, which is uh, by by J. G. Ballard, who's previously been adapted with. And uh, you know, David Cronenberg did Crash, which is uh, based on a J. G. Ballard uh, novel. So he's a he, a lot of people love this book, and if fans of the book seem to be saying that the movie was a squandered opportunity. Uh, uh, for the themes of the book that didn't really come across. But everyone seems to agree that the imagery is really beautiful and that the performances are pretty solid and that the cast is pretty amazing. So it's a little it's a little bit of a letdown that I just don't think it cohered. That's it. I mean, simply put, like, yeah, the things, like some of the things that, uh, you know, the visuals, the performances, which he does seem to be pretty consistently producing, like in all, in the films that at least that I've seen of his, that, uh, there, the, you know, that's that's a that's a a part of his product. I mean, like he's pretty consistent with that. But I don't know. I I didn't read the book that it's based on or the novel that it's based on. But um, I kind of was just sold on the idea of of kind of like this this idea of this self-contained world in this high-rise building. This idea that this architect had and the cast that is really impressive. And actually, like I don't know. I enjoyed pretty much everybody in the movie, but. Yeah, I don't know, like, I guess, like, 20, like, even Ronald, like, the little bit that he did watch, like, immediately, at least, in the first 20 minutes, I'm just, I just had a sense that this movie was just going to fall apart for me, and, and it just progressively continued to do that, and, like, to the point that I was actually having trouble sticking with it to actually just get to the end of it, um, yeah, it's so it's it's so weird and it's yeah, out there is just the word that kept coming or the way to describe it when we were talking about it earlier. I don't know, it's just one of those things where you can tell that there's a really interesting and really cool idea. The big thing to me that really is like wild is like in the last like shot or the f- last few shots like where you know, from the, this facade of this, you know, this 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 self-contained world in this high-rise building you know from the outside you know it, it everything kind of still looks perfect and without really seeing how how horrible things have fallen apart inside that idea is really great and interesting and big to me and especially considering they make a comment about you know what's to happen to the other ones because the other ones like haven't devolved into what this one has you know over the course of this film so that kind of that kind of idea is really interesting. I don't know, but just getting to that that point, like that last few, those last few scenes, I think I really was into. But I don't know. I guess the A to Z part of it, like getting to that point, it just kind of I don't know. It just kind of was a wreck in 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 my read. I don't know. You know the way Oliver Stone over over edits or over directs movies. You know that you almost can't watch one of his movies without feeling like you're being slapped in the face a few times. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this movie did that. That I wasn't allowed to just sit in a scene and let the characters be. I was instantly moving on to some other visual or some crazy moment, 
And and a lot of times in his other films, Sightseers and Kill List, which are simple stories, that lack of exposition is part of what makes them really compelling to me. I think this is one that needed a little bit more exposition, a little bit more orienting me in this world before I could care that it's going to disintegrate. Yeah. The crazy part about it is I'd just seen a video about an Alaskan town called, I think it's called Whittier, um, as a population of 220 people or so, and they all live in one building. And there's a hospital and a school and a government and all that stuff is managed in this one building. And I saw that before I saw wow. uh, High Rise. So, like, I saw a real place that existed with the same dynamic that was supposed to be depicted in High Rise. And it just, <laughs> High Rise wasn't good to me. I just couldn't sit through it. Um, I'll send you a link. I'll send you a link to this. It's super interesting. But all managed, 14 stories managing all these people. And I imagine it'll be kind of this, the same thing. Wow, that's that's insane. Yeah, it's really nuts. I mean, I, I, because they get... They get something like a couple hundred, some some weird amount of snow, 20, 20, like 20 to 30 feet of snow a year. It makes sense that they're all in one building. Like you, you can't do anything else after it snows. So they just have one building with the entire population of this town in it. It just sounds nuts. Wow. Yeah. I, I just found it. Yeah. Whittier, Alaska. Yeah. 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 It's nuts. And I, <laughs> it's 14 stories. Right. Right. Yeah, they get 250 inches of snow a season. <sighs> that is insane. Wow, that's incredible. It's like an old army yeah. barracks. And they have everything. That's cool. Yeah, have to they check have that out. The, the the store and the basement, they do they have a bunch of the school has there's like a tunnel that goes to the school. The videos are really neat. That's wild. Yeah. Sounds more interesting than high rise. Right. <laughs> Much more interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't guess either one of you guys saw much or heard much about the Greasy Strangler. No. How was it? Well, I, I mean, it's so gross and juvenile and and immature, and it was so odd and so committed to its oddness. The The title, The Greasy Strangler, refers to this, this, this man who stalks around at night covered in grease. He's a nude man with a big old dong <laughs> covered in grease who goes around strangling people and killing them at night. And and it's pretty clear to us who that character is, but in the story people have to kind of figure out, you know, who who it is. And and there's lots of, you know, unwanted gross old man dong nudity in this and there's some there's a little uh, uh an, a little actress that does not conform to the usual uh sort of ingenue body type that you see in most movies who who also strips down completely naked and has a big prosthetic bush put on over <laughs> over her privates uh there's another guy who has like a weird prosthetic penis that's like incredibly small and weird swollen looking balls i mean like there's not a single person that you don't see naked and who isn't kind of weird looking naked and everybody's leaning into the oddity of these the human body kind of you know but there's a weird comfort that the actors have with each other and and the one of the actors, this guy, Sky Elobar, who plays uh, Big Braden in the film, who's the son of Big Ronnie, who's this crazy character. Big Ronnie and Big Braden are tour guides uh, who go around, you know, giving people a, a sort of fake rock and roll music history tour around town. And they just get tourists and they go, they'll get in front of a house and say, this is the, this is the house where Cool and the gang lived or whatever, you know. 
that's what their day job is. <laughs> and then at night, uh, one of them may be going out covered in grease and strangling people and killing them. And then the other one, Big Braden, is uh, sort of a pushover, kind of a guy who just thinks he's found love with this special gal named Janet. And Janet turns out to be kind of good for him and kind of bad news at the same time. The movie's just really gross, and and I know, I mean, you, I can't state enough how, how juvenile the humor in it is. And some of it's kind of annoying, and some of it is on that level of almost like cutesy, quirky stuff, like Napoleon Dynamite-style dialogue or scenes. And then that will just be followed up by something mm-hmm. so gross and so unexpected. So it's just this weird marriage of styles. I can't imagine anyone being bored watching this movie. You know, it, it, was, it was a late movie for me, and it did keep me awake. Um, and I don't know where this movie will pop up next. I think uh, Alamo Drafthouse Films, uh, I think they're distributing it or they're associated with it. So I would expect it would be out. You know, their movies at least tend to get a small theatrical run, and then they will show up on home video. I don't think this movie's going to disappear. But I don't know the director, Jim Hosking, who co-wrote it with Toby Harvard. I don't know any of his work. And then, like I said, Sky Elobar, who plays Braden in the film, I've never seen him before, but the, Michael St. Michaels, who plays Big Ronnie, I feel like I've seen him before in something. So I don't really know. The pedigree of this movie is really interesting to me, but uh, uh, it was definitely funny and silly. And if you've ever laughed at that kind of Tim and Eric style, you know, some of that stuff can be really sophisticated and really funny. And really, I think if you hear the name The, the Greasy Strangler and you think I've got to see that, then this is probably the film for you. <laughs> if you look at that batch of films we just talked about, that's a really bizarre batch of movies there's some really interesting styles and some odd things going on there and i like to see that i like to see that it's not all dramas you know but you did see at least one kind of drama ish film didn't you steve did you see uh morris from america i did yeah and actually that's probably like the most mainstream film i saw um you know i think that that's a film like you were saying that actually played at a bunch of festivals uh chad hartigan is the director of the movie and I think like he wasn't there for the Q and A, but they did note that like I think it's it's a bit. He kind of it's it's sort of like about a part of him growing up like, as some you know as a youth uh, in a culture that he wasn't completely familiar with. I think he grew up in Cyprus, but um, yeah, basically it's just about uh, Craig Robinson and Marquise Christmas play a father son living in I think it's in Germany. Um, and it's just basically about you know this the son uh, Morris played by Marquis Christmas is is you know finding his place like finding finding friends finding relationships finding a stronger relationship with his father and also his father finding you know a better relationship or better understanding of where his son is. Um, it, it, it's kind of, I think it got picked up by A24. I think uh, it, it's planned for distribution later this year. Um, but it, it is kind of like a feel-good movie. It's not, I don't think it's as crowd-pleasing as some other movies that have kind of, you know, kind of just sprung out of a festival circuit. Like, I don't know, like it's much bigger, like Little Miss Sunshine kind of movie. It's kind of in that realm where, you know, there's some drama, there's some heaviness, but there's also a lot of, like, humor and adolescence and you know that awkwardness of of finding your place and um not really knowing what's right what's wrong you know when to bite your tongue and when to not um but uh but i I did like it i mean i think that craig robinson actually has a scene most people know him from like the office or um like the the tub time machine movies but 
Um, uh, you know, he's he's pretty well cast in this movie. I think kind of giving a little more um, taste of, I guess, what he can do dramatically. But there's a really great scene of him and the son in, the, in a car, like after something bad happens to the son, and he's trying to explain to him um, like a piece of history of, 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 about his mother who, um, who, who, this is no spoiler, I guess, but who's not with them, who passed away. But, um, it's just like a really touching moment about a father and like, you know, kind of him not knowing his place really, even as an adult, you know, just as much as his son is struggling to find, you know, his place in the world. But um, definitely the, the the takeaway scene of the movie, the one that most of the audience responded to the most. But it's definitely worth checking out. I mean, actually, it's kind of a movie I could see kind of if with the right word of mouth kind of campaign, it, depending how wide they go with it or how they roll it out. It is I think it's the kind of thing that could be some sort of success for them um, because it kind of does walk that line between, you know, like the comedy, drama, the dramedy, whatever they call it. And it's pretty well balanced. I mean, there's definitely some parts of the film that it kind of, I think the cultural elements of it kind of alienate or, or may alienate some of an American audience that like, you know, can't, I don't need some of the, the accents are really heavy and it's like not subtitled. Uh, well, some of it's actually subtitled, but like some of it that's not is kind of tough, tough to understand. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I enjoyed it actually more than I thought I would. It's definitely the most, like I said, the mainstream one that I saw at this year's festival and it kind of felt like kind of one of those movies that I'm sure they court it you know from the other festival because it got you know some attention at I think like uh, Sundance and Toronto maybe um, and like I said I think they plan on releasing releasing that later this year cool when I was making my super long list of movies to try to go see that was on there and it kind of fell off as actually did a lot of the films that I intended to see I didn't uh I didn't end up seeing as many documentaries as I expected to see. I didn't see Hotel Dallas. And I also did not see Life Animated because of uh, a very strange reason. You guys know. I think you guys were both going to see it, and I was going to try to meet you there. It was a Saturday morning screening. And right as I was getting ready to go, uh, my neighbor let me know that her cat had died, and she was going to have a funeral for it that, that, that afternoon with her grandkids and her daughter. And she needed me to dig a hole to bury her beloved family cat, Blackie. Um, and this is an... This is a this is an 80 year old couple that lives next door to us, and they're very they're very nice. They've always been very nice to us. But you know, only an 80 year old white couple would have a <laughs> a, a cat named Blackie. <laughs> yeah, really. But Blackie God. was a sweet cat, so no, I I was sad to miss it. But I think you guys really liked it. Uh, what did you think of Life Animated? And 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 also explain a little bit about maybe what this film is. Life Animated is a story about a gentleman that has autism. And um, it's it's kind of a build up because I guess the the parents are not fully aware that this this guy has um, autism. And as he grows, he kind of becomes very distant and finds it very hard to articulate himself and function in public because it's, you know a lot of autism has to do with like being overstimulated by your environment and, and things like that. And this kid kind of sought refuge in Disney movies. And through these movies, eventually he developed a way to communicate because he's, he aligned with these characters of all shapes and sizes and environments. And, and he found a way to relate to the world 
and he became a, a very fully realized person through it, which is really interesting. So it's kind of a uh, very nice, nicely laid out outline of kind of how he came to this sort of conclusion that Disney movies are what he needs in his life to articulate uh, these, these very complex ideas that he couldn't prior to seeing them, which is really cool. Um, the family is just very lovable, um, and it revolves around what's the what's the main guy's name? Owen. 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 Very very likable guy. Um, I I don't know. I I thought it was really really touching, um, and it is very manipulative, but I don't mind it. I don't mind being manipulated in this way. I don't mind seeing someone finding their way in the world. And it does it in such a, a cool way. And they also use, in addition to just footage, um, they use animations, um, original animations, and also clips from the Disney movies. So you have this kind of mix of this animated uh, sort of original stuff that has to do with Owen himself coupled with the Disney films and it makes for a really cool experience. It's it's very exciting actually. You're rooting for this kid very early in the movie. So I thought I thought it was incredible. I I never had so many times during a documentary that wasn't just about just people being hurt that I was just balling, man. It was a really good movie. Yeah, I think I think the big takeaway for me, like thinking about like these types of documentaries, is that this one wasn't. I mean, at least I didn't I didn't view it as like just this effort to like kind of push a message. Um, like there was really no message, really. I feel like or a purpose, um, like some some motives that this documentary or this filmmaker had. I think literally, like he was just telling this really really touching, important like just inspiring human story, which um, I don't know that it like happens a lot in documentaries anymore. I feel like there's a lot of like these, there's, there's a lot of motive and message in, in movies these days. But like, like you were saying, I think it's just really touching to see um, somebody figuring out how to make life work when it doesn't seem to make sense. And um the 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 filmmaker was actually I don't know if he did the Q and A at your screening but um, I didn't really understand his like connections to Baltimore but apparently like there's like a big hand in like Micah being involved with a short film that he did um, a few years back called I think it's called uh, Music by Prudence but like he won an he he won an Oscar for documentary short I think in 2010 or 11 for this film that Micah pretty much like helped fund. Um, or at least had a hand in or like kind of brought him brought to his attention. So it was really cool to see like the Baltimore tie to like this filmmaker's path and kind of what put him ultimately in touch with the topic of this film. But the, the movie's based on a book or a novel that the father Ron wrote about Owen and like his, you know, his life. And, um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like I, 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 I love I love this documentary. I was very moved. Like I was like you said, I was very 
touched and emotional a few times in the movie. I mean, the 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 scene where um you know the father's explaining like how he was finally able to communicate with his son after years of like him not speaking. Yeah. Your body just feels all the feels like in that scene. Like you just you just you just don't even I don't know like it's like those moments that you can't really describe in words like. You just feel that moment building, and like everything just makes so much sense for him to try what he tried to communicate with his kid, and that's like kind of what broke a wall down, and like just made an opportunity present to you know allow his son to make sense of the world in whatever way worked for him, and it just is a it's completely inspiring, and and this kid who's now in his like early to mid twenties is. A grown man like trying to live a life and he's got a job and he lives by himself and he's just inspiring and it's motivating and it's just like a really cool story and i love the mixed media like you were saying um with like on one hand seeing like the disney classics on the big screen again like that and and they were like remastered they looked amazing and the animation both it was like kind of hand-drawn sketch animation and then you know like the 2d animation like the old school Disney animation of this like story that Owen kind of made up, um, you know, the story that he wrote about him and like the sidekicks from all the Disney movies. It's just, I don't know, man. It's just like, John, you, you need to see this movie for sure. When it, when, when in, it, it gets released. So yeah, I don't know. I would definitely recommend that. That's definitely a go ahead in my, uh, in my festival book. Same here. The only documentary that I did get to see was do not resist. I don't know if I know much about this director. Craig Atkinson is his name. I think he was maybe the cinematographer for something prior to this, but I don't think he's done anything prior to this. But Do Not Resist is a a movie that just kind of looks at the militarization of the police force in in uh, in you know all across America, and it and it really kind of really kind of dwells on these retired or unused military vehicles that are just sitting there collecting dust that the government kind of can portion out to the these local police departments and you've seen them you know the in these like average city streets these ridiculous armored vehicles uh yeah um and of course it's part of the sort of impression being that this might be necessary in a riot situation or in, a, in an effort to keep peace but they make a point out of in each of these instances when you're seeing the towns that where these vehicles are being used you know the crime rates in a lot of these places are so low and it's absurd that they would suppose that they would need this kind of firepower, you know, to back right. up um, what they actually need to do. And they actually do follow the, the the SWAT teams out on a couple of raids. And there's a really sad scene where you see just what happens to some people when they're kind of raided based on a hunch. And then when they find a little bit of weed in this kid's backpack, the way that the cops talk to and treat these civilians who they, whose home they just wrecked, you know, and there's a sort of sucks to be you kind of attitude about it. You oh. know? Because we found a little weed, we can say, um, well, you see the price of having drugs in your house, you know. But, like, they were hoping to bust them with, like, a, 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 an operation. You yeah. know what I mean? They weren't. It's ridiculous, and then but their but that their attitude was like, oh well, you know, you win some, you lose some, and there's like these people with these busted out windows that the cops are flat out saying, well, that's the cost of of you know of what happened to you, you know. Um, so it's almost like they're looking around saying, we got to find something, or we, you know, or this is our fault. Anyway, the movie kind of skirts across a lot of scenes like that, and I think that it. It feels like maybe it would have been a more powerful documentary as a whole if it could have 
had more time to breathe. Like it's almost like this this footage coupled with more footage coupled with more footage. Looking back ten years in the future or something on this era, it might have more perspective. As it was, it felt a little bit more like a fly on the wall moment where you're down there and you're seeing like the protests in Ferguson. And you're seeing, uh, you know, the way that the crowds are reacting when the verdict is being read. And you're seeing the, the, the anger on the streets. And you're seeing the kind of complacency of the cops. But you're also seeing a sort of weariness on the part of the cops of, like, not knowing how to deal with this situation. Mm. And then the movie cr- kind of cross-cuts that with this sort of story of this guy, Dave Grossman, who has uh, written a bunch of books on what he calls Killology the psychology of killing. (laughs) And he's a guy who gives these talks and trains all these cadets for the police and the CIA. And, and he's giving them this pep talk about how powerful they'll feel when they kill someone who they know is a bad person and they know is doing a bad thing. And he he talks about having the best sex of your life when you go home after killing somebody and stuff. Oh my God. And he's training these cops. So it's like, it's, it's all about the military's desire to kind of train a soldier who is more, who is less bothered by taking a human life, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's being kind of ported out to the police force in these training seminars and stuff. And so it's really scary. But I feel like the movie doesn't quite dig deep enough into that culture or into any one aspect of it to feel like a really, uh, really, a really massive statement. And so it, it came off feeling like a, a survey of some different ideas. And I don't want to give it too much credit for just kind of being in the right place at the right time. As far as, you know, being able to get their cameras there, there's a lot of footage they get that you think, well, it was probably hard to get that much cooperation from these SWAT teams and stuff. And so you get to see stuff happen. It's pretty damning what you see, but there's no deep analysis of any one aspect that it kind of depicts. Wow. Yeah, I definitely had that on my list to try to see. It just didn't work out. But I, I, I actually had read an article about that pretty much saying the same thing that you just said, which is that it's, it's a nice collection of footage but there's not so much a perspective that is being like kind of, you know, stitched through it. So it's interesting to hear you say something similar. Well, you know, uh, before we wrap this up, I guess it's time for us to talk about our kind of top picks, our most memorable films, however you want to think of that. Just the movie that you find yourself thinking of the most since the festival. So, uh, Ronald, do you want to start off with what, what your top pick from the 2016 Maryland Film Festival would be? Yes, uh, it is a movie called Lamb, um, directed by this man. I'm not, I'm Yared Zalik. I'm, I'm hoping, or Zaliki. Um, it's about a kid. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. It's like Ephraim. <laughs> and basically, his, his mom recently died from uh, starvation, basically. And his dad needs to find work so he drops him off um in a village uh with his cousins with his family but um his mom leaves behind a goat that he's really really attached to it has a very deep relationship with and it's basically like the last thing that he holds on to related to his mom and um the farm that he goes to with his family is basically really low on food and his uncle makes a decision that that lamb is going to go in the holiday season, which is about two months or so from the point where he comes to the, to the village. So he basically comes up with a scheme, a couple schemes that protect his, his, his friend. And it's a really cool story. The first and foremost, the, Ethiopia, it's, it takes place in Ethiopia, 
gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous setting. Um, it looks like a painting almost, right? And, and what's weird about it is, I mean, I guess it should be super obvious, but it's just shot like a regular movie. So the emphasis isn't on the background, but the background's so gorgeous that it makes every shot look like a painting. So like as this kid's like <laughs> just walking around and with his goat and trying to think of a scheme to protect him, he goes through this forest and he's just sitting at the top of this mountain and it looks incredible. And and there's hundreds and hundreds of shots like that. Not only that, the kid's really likable. Um, he's really likable, super charismatic, but in his own way, like he his his relationship with the goat seems very real. Um, and the goat almost seems to like know him on a level, you know. And he has to make a big decision in the end, and and it's about growth. And I, I don't know, I I really enjoyed it. I I have this attachment to people who like animals. You know, animals are so innocent, and seeing this lamb kind of have a lot of character. And not say anything in the movie is really cool. Like, there are scenes where he's just eating and talking to the goat inches away from his face. And it's almost like the goat's like, yep, that's a really good idea. It's so weird. It's like the goat's acknowledging his idea. It's just kind of like, yep, you thought of that last week. You tried that last week. That didn't work. Now what do you have in mind? It's really cool. But I, I think it's a gorgeous movie. I think that anybody with a heart would enjoy this movie. So... Hopefully it gets some distribution. I haven't heard much about it. There's a there's an innocence about this kid that you kind of forget that you had at some point, you know? That's really just neat to watch on screen. So Well my my top pick or my film that I think of the most since the festival was one that um was distinctive in one particular way that is really a huge part of its appeal, which was, and I think we talked about this when I picked it as one of my uh, anticipated films from the festival, and the film is The Love Witch, and the aspect that I had commented on was that it was um, shot on 35mm film, and it was, I think, they said the only emerging film at the festival that was going to be screening, uh, you know, an actual projected 35mm print. And I don't know what that means. Only emerging film. I still don't know what that you means. You know what? You <laughs> know what? Of, you of you know what? I, I asked, and it was the only, basically, new release. The only other film that was on thirty-five millimeter was Fresh, which is like the Sam Jackson movie from like uh, the nineties. So it's um, that verbiage is for, you know, like new or you know, it like upcoming, you know, in process of being released production you know distributed whatever seeing something projected on 35 millimeter you you almost feel like it's going to be all talk or you're not going to notice the difference but just the look of film the grain of film and the the color and the richness of it you know and this movie is really styled to look like it was made in the 60s and i don't know just an interesting stylistic mix as far as that goes there's certain things that just nail this look of an old film and then there'll be something jarring in the film like there'll be modern cars driving around and you kind of start to get the sense that only the main characters that we're dealing with are the ones that are trapped in this kind of past <laughs> and that the rest of it is sort of like the present day world going on, but it's, it's, it's never really explained and they don't really nod to it. There's not a lot of jokes about that kind of thing, but it, it's just, it puts you in this weird headspace of a kind of timelessness, you know, um, 
but I think the imagery is what it is because it's meant to evoke a kind of bygone era of a slightly more playful way of dealing with these elements because the movie is full of, you know, sex and murder and awful things happening to people. And it has a weird kind of softcore porn streak to it, but it also deals with gender. Like it both kind of mocks and utilizes the male gaze and the female gaze with the way that it shoots the nudity and stuff. It's a, it's just an interesting mix of ideas. And I really did come away from it thinking about certain aspects of gender that I had never thought of, like the way that the film kind of depicts the sort of male neediness for sex, you know? Mm, yeah. As like... As like kind of a goofy thing, and and in the Q and A, Anna Biller, the the writer, director, producer, everything. I mean, she seems to be very much uh, having her finger in every pie as far as how this film was crafted. She said that the movie was intended to be kind of a fantasy of her own childhood self, her vision of what sexuality was and what being with men was like, that it was a projection of that. And that's why it has this kind of fairy tale quality to it. And I think maybe I didn't, I didn't hear her say that's why she said it in a a bygone era, but I kind of felt like that's what she was doing was saying that this is something that's kind of a little bubble, but the whole story was playing this idea of this seductress who's, who's seducing and killing men, but it's depicted as kind of, as kind of maybe a, a 12 or 13 year old girl with a good imagination might have imagined it. My one critique of it was, as much as I enjoyed it, I found myself thinking, I wonder if an audience, just a general audience, would really love this film if it was a little tighter, if it was maybe 15 minutes shorter. But, um, but I hesitate to say that about a film that's basically an art film and that's probably going to be a hit with kind of late night screening crowds. And I know a few people in town who saw it who also thought it was just kind of beautiful. Like every frame of it is kind of luscious, you know. And um, I don't know, I found it uh, funny and smart and really based on the filmic thing and based on the fact that it's a low budget film that pulled off this lush look, I think it's one of the best looking things I've seen in a while. So I give a big go ahead to The Love Witch. So um, the one that I want to throw out there is probably my top pick of the weekend is a movie called Donald Cried, which is um, a movie that is written, directed by, and stars uh, a guy named Chris Avedisian. Um, I man, I, I loved this movie. It's it's like one of these movies that's kind of like, um, I don't know. A lot of people were like talking afterwards, kind of like Napoleon Dynamite ish, like kind of lead character. Um, it's basically the story about a a guy named Pete who had moved out of his town um, in Rhode Island um, and kind of went to New York, became a big Wall Street financial guy. He has to come back to his hometown to take care of uh, the affairs who is, of, for his grandmother who's passed away. And in doing so, kind of gets himself into a situation where he needs to ask a favor of one of his high school friends named Donald played by the writer-director Chris Avedisian, um, who lives across the street. And in doing this and asking for this favor, he's kind of opened himself up to and agreed to a day with this old friend who um, is still pretty much the same person that he was the moment that Pete left this town. Um and it's kind of like, you know, it's it's got this really sharp script where this character is just aired out. It's really funny. Um, the the Donald character actually reminds me of, oh, God, what's the guy's name? John, you were talking about it, I think, I'm from an American movie. Uh, Mark, um, Mark Bouchard, Bouchard, is that his name? 
Uh, Mark Borchardt. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, he kind of reminds me of of him. Like I feel like he could be related to this guy, um, just in his demeanor and, and his sensibilities. But, um. So, you know, they kind of get stuck, to, you know, Pete kind of gets stuck going around town with this friend of his, Donald, who, you know, you can tell is still living in the same mindset that he was in when Pete left town is kind of like hoping to recapture, you know, everything that he assumed Pete would be like when he came back to town and tapped back into their friendship and, you know, the good old days and like what they used to do together to have fun and, and all that craziness and, uh... You know, in doing so, you kind of get to see, you know, where Pete is and where Donald is, respectively, and, and where, I guess, one and the other see the day going. But, I mean, the movie's really funny, really well written. It got picked up by The Orchard, which is um, a distribution studio who is also releasing um, Life Animated, which we were talking about earlier. Um, I think Life Animated comes out later this year, but they said that... Donald Cry is going to come out the first quarter of 2017. Um, okay. But, um, you know, it's definitely, it's one of those that I feel like would it could and, and probably will find its niche audience and do, I think, pretty well. Like, it's definitely the same thing like with Marshall America, like that word of mouth, um, you know, kind of genre, niche, silly the script, the the, the 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 star of the film is definitely Donald, and I mean it's really a, a, an impressive display from I, I don't know anything else from this this guy Chris um, Avedizian, but he was at the Q and A, very very nice guy, very engaging. I mean a lot of what he, you know, he I think it's called Warwick is the town in Rhode Island that they're from. It's completely like kind of based off of where he grew up. A lot of the um, you know stuff that the two friends reminisce about were things that he did with his friends. So it's kind of cool to hear, you know, kind of him tapping into some of that, you know, those, those, those experience, personal experiences. It's not like a autobiography or any kind of personal story of any means, but just kind of working in his own experience into it. We're kind of fun to hear him talk about after the fact, after you see how ridiculous some of them are. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. Just like a really fun, really silly um, couple really laugh-out-loud moments. But it is kind of heavy, too, at times. Like, kind of people coming to terms with um, never really coming to terms with something. Um, and I guess kind of how some people are ready and not ready to kind of move on with life. And, and how that looks at different ages in your life and these guys are you know in their mid late 30s <clears throat> and uh i don't know just a really cool fun movie I, i'd heard a lot of good things about it prior to seeing it and um both aaron and i both really liked it a lot and um definitely a go ahead um hopefully you guys can check that out when it when it comes back up uh i guess early next year i think that was 11 films that we just uh, uh talked about so that's a that's a big old slab of movies yeah, wow I don't know. Was there anything else? I guess that was it for the things we saw, right? Yeah, I think that's yeah, it. Yeah, no, no, I think I'm good. That's it. I, w- I wanted to just comment that if all goes according to plan, this will be the last phone episode where Steve will have the headset mic. Is that correct, Steve? <laughs> this is correct. I have a very high-end, expensive, um, futuristic microphone in the mail uh, on, on its way to my to my home that should be here 
shortly. And and the next time that we do one of these bad boys, uh, I will sound uh, 100 times better. And um, and that's guaranteed by the manufacturer, <laughs> and, too. And if it works out, we will never have to see each other face-to-face again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank know, God. Good Lord. I'm so tired of you both. <laughs> I still wear a suit and tie to each one of these phone episodes. So I'm, I'm too respectful of what we do. <laughs> I appreciate it. Speaking of which, next time you hear us, we will be sitting in the same room. Isn't that what we're saying? Yeah. Yes. yes, we will. Yes, we will. Awesome. Oh yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be extravagant. We're gonna get like drinks and snacks, and it's gonna yeah. be a big deal. It's gonna be a big deal, mm-hmm. big old deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have anything else uh, just besides thanking everybody for listening. Hitting up moviesmovie.com, Facebook. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, if you want to download or stream it, respectively. And subscribe and, and leave us a review, as always. Uh, it's appreciated, and it matters a lot and helps, hopefully helps people find out about our podcast and, and helps us find a new set of ears to, uh, to, grit, to, to put this sound onto. Into, surely. <laughs> into, into, well, yeah, into yes. your ears. I want to, yeah, yes. good. Thank you, John. Um, but, yeah, that's all I got. And, uh, John, Ronald, anything yeah, I think else? I that's it. Cool. Well, uh, guys, as always, you made you made our day. <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> I tried. I tried. I tried to like. I tried to bump set it again for Ronald to say his damn skippy oh, thing. Oh, damn it! I and never he never remember, remembers. Man. You just need to come into these recordings with a jar of skippy. And and eat it throughout the podcast so that you're not. Gonna that might keep about his it. energy up too, you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe it might, or it might actually just put him to sleep. Right. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, you've made our day. Thank you guys for listening. Bye. I'm John. <laughs> <laughs> that I, I can confirm that that was John. This is Steve. And I'm Ronald. You know, it's funny to me to think that maybe there were some people that wouldn't normally listen to the show, but that would on the local level if they saw that it was about the Maryland Film Festival. And it just made me think how right. stupid it is that, like, <laughs> that, so, oh, we might have some new listeners on this episode, so let's be sure not to introduce ourselves at the beginning <laughs> of the show. <laughs> we're, we're such professionals, man. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. All right, I'm hitting stop. Yeah, damn Skippy.